Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 144 of the Childless Not By Choice podcast. My name is Sevilla Morgan. My mission is to recognize and speak to the Childless Not By Choice women and men around the world, reminding you, reminding us that we can live joyful, relevant, fulfilled, childless, not by choice lives. And whether you have children or not, thank you for tuning in. What is today's show about? Well, it's about joyful eating. Yes, you heard that right. That is the name of the show, the name of the book, actually, more importantly, Joyful Eating. And we're going to be speaking with the author of the book, Joyful Eating, in just a few minutes. But first, I'd like to thank my Patreon contributors. I'd like to take a moment to say thank you for the financial contributions to the platform on a monthly basis. You are truly appreciated. Thank you for all you do on this platform. If you are not yet a patron, but you would like to be, please feel free to visit us at patreon.com forward slash childless not by choice to set up your monthly contributions, or just visit me at PayPal books by Morgan at gmail.com if you'd like to make a one-time contribution. So thanks again to my patrons. You are truly appreciated. As I was thinking, you know, as I was prepping for this episode, I was thinking that I don't believe I've ever read a book by a nutritionist. That may sound bad. I I don't know. But I'm sure at some point, most of us have read some type of nutritional flyer our doctor gave us at an appointment, or maybe we Googled a particular food or even, you know, what foods to eat for certain medical complaints, like, and Tansy, our guest, I just gave it away, but she will tell us in a minute if it's true or not, but certain foods or vegetables are good for inflammation. Or if you're like me, I make a lot of my food decisions based on what I read on the label. I, uh, I keep an eye out for sugar, salt, carbohydrates, etc. Well, except during my birthday month, which is when we're recording this. So forgive me, but during my birthday month, all bets are off. (laughs) So reading Joyful Eating was an eye-opener, as I think my biggest takeaways were not beating myself up over my weight, not feeling guilty about my food choices, to diet or not to diet, and just my general relationship with food. And so let's chat with Mrs. Tansy Boggan. Uh, She is a nutritionist, author, nutrition writer, recipe developer, which I think is kind of cool. And she also specializes in a non-diet and mindful eating approach. Mrs. Tansy Boggan, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, No problem at all. I'm I'm so looking forward to this because, you know, as I said, I, I, I read the book and I found it intriguing that it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as you say, like there's so many different, well, there's so many different nutrition books that are telling you what to eat and what not to eat. Whereas this is more like permission in a sense, as you say. Right. Mm. I did put a link in the show notes to your website, your blog and your social media information. I put in there the LinkedIn. I, if there's more, I'll put that in in the show notes as well, but I Mm -hmm. put your LinkedIn in there for sure. I also wanted everybody to know that full disclosure, Mrs. Boggan is the wife of our June interview. Our guest for June was Rob Hutchings. Remember that episode? So I put a link to that episode in this episode's show notes so you can link back. 
if you haven't listened to the June or even July, we're recording in August. Again, full disclosure, but this is going to be the September episode. So hopefully, bottom line, you've had the chance to listen to the June episode with one Rob Hutchings. That was an awesome episode. So Tansy, as I read your book, Joyful Eating, I literally, no kidding, dog-eared so many and highlighted so many pages in the book. You know, I love how you start out your food story. (laughs) Yeah. How you talk about your mom and your grandmother. And, you know, is that why you chose to start your nutrition journey and your joyful eating journey? Yeah, I think so. Like it's it's interesting having, since writing the book, I published it in 2019. I think my understanding of why I wrote the book is evolving a little bit. As I talk about in the book, it very much, you know, I grew up in a household that was very health conscious. There was a lot of fear around obesity and diabetes from my mother's, you know, from both her parents, um, the grandparents. And so I sort of grew up with that fear of of weight and and this belief that I could control my weight and my health by what I was eating. And so I think that, you know, when I was a kid, there was probably a real sense of pride in that because, you know, we were quote unquote healthy compared to other children, but it probably wasn't until I left home and then trying to navigate that for myself was really quite difficult. And so to sort of talk about that, there was sort of a struggle of seeing my grandmother struggle with her her weight that kept yo-yoing and the depression and abuse that she suffered and then my mother who very much controlled her weight and then for me to find that middle ground where I didn't want to be depriving myself of foods that I loved but I had always had this ingrained fear of of obesity and I, I think for me food was always something that I was very interested in but I actually started my career in the environmental sciences. I did a science degree and worked in environmental science for about 10 years. And during that time, I was still very interested in nutrition and would read about food and loved recipes and try new foods. But I think it was actually our childlessness journey that really like brought me back onto the path of being interested in nutrition. And I think that was because one, I'd probably had 10 years of feeling like my body wasn't good enough and trying to control my body and then trying to have children where there's this perception that, you know, you just have to eat healthy and you'll be able to get pregnant. And, you know, there's so many websites and books and things like that that sort of give you this message if you just eat this food or this magic potion or something. And so that's really when I got interested again in nutrition and I think probably for a few years was in a slightly obsessive controlling place of, you know, trying to eat super healthy and whatever that is, you know, there's so many different diets and so many different ways to eat, but I definitely went down a bit of a rabbit hole of trying to be the healthiest I could be. And then, you know, when we came out the other side without children, I think that realisation that we don't control our bodies, you know, what we put in our body doesn't necessarily control our weight or whether we can have children or not, or our hormones. Like there's so many other factors that go into our health or how our body's functioning. You know, food is just one factor. So I think that just got me really curious again. And I started to really look at my own relationship with food at that stage and really pulling back the layers. And that's sort of when I started to really reflect back on my mother and my grandmother and all the beliefs and stories that I've been told and all the things I'd tried on the things I'd been obsessed by. And and so that's really when I started to research this more and 
explore eating psychology. And and then at that time I I went back to university and I did some nutrition counseling courses and just really got back into that fascination with nutrition, but trying to find that balance that I, I never really had. You know, it's a bit of that all of nothing approach that I think when we're in diet mentality, we can often have it's, you know, either eating super healthy or complete rubbish, (laughs) you know, and finding that in between place. So I think for me, I probably, even when I started writing Joyful Eating, I don't think I really realized how much of my own unpacking needed to be done. And that's what I was doing through that whole journey as, as well. And then obviously wanting to help other people. But yeah, over the years, you sort of start to feel into all those different layers that we need to unpack around our relationship with food. And I think what's interesting with food is, you know, we just think of it as fuel, something we put into our body and, you know, just keeps us going. And yet there's so much more, you know, as you say, that whole idea of what is my food and body story, like there's so many stories and beliefs and rules and self-deception that comes into that. It's sort of like a window into so many other things. And I think that's what's really fascinating about food. It can really help us uncover so much about ourselves. Mm -hmm. You said something that what I gathered from some of what you said is as human beings, we like to put everything in a box, in a neat little box. Mm -hmm. So things like, well, if you just eat the right thing, you'll get pregnant. That's what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure you heard that a lot because people just want to have a fix. I think that's the word I was looking for as well. Yeah. They want a neat little bow tied box or a fix. And if there is none, then it must be your fault. It must be something you're doing wrong. (laughs) So as I was looking at page seven, you said that I highlighted in dog-eared, it says, I acknowledge that my relationship with food and my body is constantly evolving, which that was, that really hit me. And you continue on by saying, I believe it's a lifelong journey. Over the years, my circumstances will change as too will my body. However, I no longer feel the pressure to control my body. I used to believe it necessary to criticize my body to control my weight. I've learned that this is untrue and that the opposite may be true. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, I suppose the first bit is that idea that we are constantly changing and it's almost like you know we want things to stay the same you know we want our 20 year old body to be there forever when it's not and life changes our circumstances changes our stress changes you know there's so many things that impact our body and how our body responds to food and our weight that you know we've been very much led to believe it's just what I eat is the, the important thing when there's just so many other factors in there that it's more like let's see our body as this evolving changing thing and looking at it like curiosity like if we if our body was you know our pet cat or something we'd be like oh it's interesting uh, you know the cat's really hungry today or not hungry or now they don't like this fish but they like that fish you know and it's sort of like our bodies are the same and yet we think of it as something that we're controlling and containing rather than seeing it as this with curiosity and it's like we're nearly external from it. We're just observing how it's responding. And, and as time changes, our body's going to respond. Our preferences are going to change as well. And yeah, that last bit, I suppose it is, as I said, like it's about this idea that we think we can control and contain it. Mm -hmm. And that the way to do that is to criticize and to, blame and shame ourselves in order to change rather than just observing it and you know even yesterday I was chatting to some ladies and 
well, one of them had just given birth, another was going through menopause and, you know, they were both complaining about the weight around their their stomach and Mm -hmm. it's like that's, they're just phases in life. And, you know, menopause is a change. And, you know, this lady was on stress leave from work and it's just more like I'm observing, you know, Mm -hmm. there's some weight gain around my stomach. And rather than being like, I need to hit the gym, I need to change my diet, I need to lose weight. It's like more just sinking into like, why is this? And and how do I feel? And where am I out of balance? And, you know, maybe it is stress, maybe it's more time for ourselves, but, you know, just going on another diet and criticizing ourselves and hating ourselves for this spare tire that's, you know, come, mm-hmm. come about when it's potentially just a very natural part of life as, as well. Like as we, as we age or as we go through different phases or stress events or traumas that it's a very natural part of life. And we all, and I do talk about in the book, how we all respond very differently to stress as well. And yet we blame ourselves for that bit of weight gain. And that could be the healthiest thing for us in that moment, in that point in time. And so, yeah, I think just not criticizing it, but more observing it. And then also that idea that, you know, the last line is I've learned this is untrue and the opposite may be true. So it's just, we've been, we've been taught pretty much our whole lives that the way for us to change our behavior, our body is to criticize it, to put it down. And it's so normal in our society to judge ourselves or Mm -hmm. excuse our behavior rather than, you know, self-care. I'm going to care for this body. I'm going to you know, be curious and nurture it and, and give it what it needs. And maybe right now it needs rest or play or something else rather than going on another diet, which is just another form of stress and, you know, forcing and pushing when some, there's times in our lives when we just need to give our bodies love and rest and care. And if, if we're sort of flogging our body all the time, and we're putting ourselves in this sort of stress response all the time, then, you know, when I say that the opposite is true, you know, rather than being in this place of sort of love and curiosity and, and caring, which, you know, we're going to eat what our body needs when we're in this caring place, whereas if we're trying to control it and, you know, we're depriving our body and then, you know, then we end up having a binge or eating something we don't feel like we should be eating and then we blame ourselves. But it's like it's not our body that was the problem. It was that trying to restrict and contain and control that was the problem that led us to spiral out of control. So that sort of self-care and curiosity, I think, is just really important and can switch things around, you know, that we're actually doing the best thing for our body when we're in that caring and, you know, not trying to control and contain our body. So for the person that might push back, because we should, I'm saying this, I'm just Mm -hmm. saying, and, and correct me if I'm saying it the wrong way, we should watch our weight but we shouldn't watch it by beating ourselves up or being on the next fad diet is what I'm I'm hearing, right? If we realize we may need to lose a few pounds, we should be thinking, like you said, of self-care. Of mm. I, I kind of feel like, and I think I'm getting it now too, I feel like if we start from a place of self-love, even if mm-hmm. we see we've gained a few pounds, then we know we can do the right thing Because it depends on, what's the word I'm looking for? The source of the change. The source could be love or it could be self-hate and (laughs) self-flagellation. 
or yeah, self-flagellation, self-flagellation. Anyway, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and if we're doing it from that self-flagellation, then we're not necessarily doing the best thing for our body. We're doing what we think we should, you know, what all these external rules and, and you know, we're pushing it and and you know, like there's so many different rules out there. There's so many different diets. So then it's like, are we pushing our body to do something and restricting it in a way that is unhealthy and unsustainable? thinking it's the right thing to do when, you know, there's a million things we could be doing to support our body. And I think the other thing is, you know, like if we think, okay, I've gained a few pounds, I want to lose a few pounds. There's a few issues. One is, you know, that focus on the pounds. It's more like rather than focusing on this weight and I want to lose X kilos by this time frame, you know, by my next birthday, I want to fit into these skinny jeans. We're imposing an outcome that we want that's very arbitrary. It's sort of like I'm saying that I should be this size and this weight when I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I don't know like biologically the, the weight and size I'm I'm supposed to be. And and so I'm just doing that, making that decision based on what I believe. You know, maybe what I weighed 20 years ago or what looks good in a magazine or the jeans that I used to like to wear or something like that, rather than, you know, maybe I I, I have gained some weight and I would like to it's, it's, I suppose, taking the focus off I'm trying to lose this weight to I'm just trying to care for myself, look after myself, feel as fit and healthy and vibrant as I possibly can and then let my weight be what, what my weight's going to be mm-hmm. because I don't know what is my perfect weight in this moment. And that's that idea even with life changing, you know, as, as we go through life cycles that, you know, maybe the healthiest thing for someone is to put on a few pounds at menopause and we're the ones that saying, we shouldn't, you know, I should be my 35 year old weight at 65 when, you know, maybe those few extra pounds is a healthy thing. And if you're, you know, now kayaking and, you know, Zumba dancing and, you know, eating more vegetables than you ever have in your life and you're a few pounds heavier, you may be healthier than you ever were before. So it's sort of, I suppose it's just letting go of, I know (laughs) what I should be and when I should be there. And just let go of trying to achieve that outcome and just see where it goes and, you know, let go of that end goal, I suppose, because we just don't really know, you know, what our body should be. And I, and I think that's sometimes the thing is if we're in a, a larger framed body or, we've, you know, we can just be spent our whole life fighting just what our body is naturally. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've been, and I don't know if it was necessarily because I knew we were going to do this interview, but maybe, maybe not, but it's been on my mind a lot because I I just had another birthday as of this recording. Mm -hmm. We're recording on the 7th and my birthday was on the 4th. And I'm getting closer and closer to this number that I just cannot believe. I just can't believe. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable to me. I still... And I think this is, maybe this is a psychology question, you know, for the ages, but I feel like a lot of human beings, we feel different than our brain tells us. We, mm-hmm. Our brain may feel 18 or 20 and our bodies are looking and feeling 40, 50, 60, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and our brains are just not caught up. It's just not caught up. And so I was just like, I'm looking at myself, I... The figure I have now is nothing 
like it used to be. A matter of fact, in high school, all through high school, I used to do a hundred sit-ups a day. Because, oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, I am <laughs> not going to have a tummy issue. I absolutely refuse. And then yeah. as I got older and realized I wasn't going to have children, I told myself, I am not going to have a tummy e- issue because I have no excuse. I don't have children. I never had kids. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have a tummy issue. Well, yeah. I have a tummy issue, at least in my, <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion, I do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and that's, yeah, it's sort of like, the, this is the way my stomach should be. And it's interesting what you say about even childlessness, because I think that can just add another dimension to it. Because you do, you have people around you that are like, oh, my, my stomach's not never been the same since I had children. And you think, yeah. well, my, my stomach doesn't look any different from yours and I haven't had children, right. you know, and it's... <laughs> And then we can feel guilty or like, you know, what's wrong with me or why can't I control this or contain this? But, exactly, you know, can we control and contain it or are we just the way we're meant to be? (laughs) Because it's genealogy too. A lot of it is just plain genealogy. There's nothing we can do about genealogy. Yeah, definitely. And and we just, I suppose we have created such a perception of what health is and what it looks like and that, you know, health is not, a little bit of flab or a few rolls or whatever, but it's like, who says, you know, where does, where do we get that idea from? And we sort of, I suppose we're measuring health on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's part of our society. And obviously we do have a huge focus on appearance, but, you know, health is how fit you're feeling, how vibrant you're feeling, how alive you feel when you wake up in the morning or, you know, how much energy you have for certain things. And then obviously you've got blood markers and there's so many other measures of health. Mm-hmm. And yet we're so focused on this one thing. And, and that's the other thing with, you know, trying to lose weight. Like we can change our health markers without losing weight. You know, we can improve, you know, blood sugar or cholesterol even if our weight doesn't shift, we've just created this, you know, correlation between, you know, weight and say diabetes, but, you know, maybe as I say, even in the book, like maybe the weight is a protective thing from your body because of the diabetes. And it's like, Mm -hmm. which came first. And I think we've just very oversimplified these correlations rather than focus on what could I be doing to reduce um, blood sugars. And that may or may not lead to weight loss but we sort of really put our emphasis on the weight loss if I lose this weight then I'll be healthy and say well maybe I can start climbing hills now in the body that I have right now Mm -hmm. and if I lose weight I lose weight if I don't lose weight I don't lose weight but I'm actually getting fitter and healthier Mm -hmm. and feeling more energetic and alive by doing this and the same with food that I can be changing things and feeling better and maybe have less aches and pains but my body didn't change because that's out of our control. And, you know, in some cases, losing weight could be an incredible stress, another stress on the body. You know, if you've got stress at work or at home or you're going through hormonal changes, then, you know, adding this other stress of I've got to control everything I eat and feel guilty because I had, you know, dessert or mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just another stress that we're adding on. And, and, you know, stress is a huge impact on our health and things like cholesterol and and blood sugar and these sorts of things you know heart rate like there's so many things that are impacted by stress that I think we've prioritized weight and weight loss over everything else you know one of the reasons that I wrote joyful eating I suppose is because I I really wanted to raise awareness that you know maybe that stress and and trying to relax around food is is 
more important than trying to control and contain it. Mm -hmm. So, Mm. you know, I was speaking to a friend. She had mentioned that she's not seeing any weight loss, but Mm -hmm. she's going to keep walking anyway. And I was like, I think that's the best thing to do. Just keep doing the exercise anyway, because like you said, that's going to most likely, even if you don't see the weight loss, at least not, not right away, at least yeah. your heart is stronger, your A1C, which for those who don't know, A1C is a way to check your blood sugar like 90 mm-hmm. days back or something like that. That's the, the number one way, at least here in the US, that they check to see what you've been eating the last 90 days and how your blood sugars are from the last 90 days. Ask me how I know about all of this because I have parents who were and are diabetic because my mom is gone, my dad is here, but they're both diabetics. So you mm-hmm. learn how to check blood sugars, how to give insulin, how to check A1C and all that good stuff. At least what we've been told here in the US in my dealings with all of this is that anything above seven is not good when it comes Mm -hmm. to A1C numbers and anything below seven is in the normal range, or they may say pre-diabetic or whatever they say. So yeah, if you're continuing to walk and do exercise, even if you don't see the weight loss, that's going to help the A1C and the heart rate and the heart strength and all, and your strength of your bones and all of that. Definitely. And and like, I suppose even just hearing you say that, that, that's what makes me really emotional, I suppose, is why I wrote the book and and why I've written a novel that that's a fictional version of it because to me that's the saddest thing is you know we go on a diet and we start walking and then we don't see the weight loss and we give up walking and it's like well actually like if walking is making us healthier or making us feel good that's what's important you know and and that's a habit that we can maintain for life and the same with food and it's really interesting when like I, I I did a lot of research in writing joyful eating as you can sort of tell with all the references and I spent a lot of time reading the scientific literature but when they actually look at you know healthy individuals that have less diseases and things like that and, and on less medications a lot of it's about consistency it's not so much what diet have they eaten their whole life you know are they vegetarian are they flexitarian you know do they eat dairy do they not eat you know those sorts of things that we focus on like all the portions of fat protein carbs we focus on all of these things, but the research really shows that it's more about consistency. You know, if someone's choosing to eat vegetarian and they're walking every day and they're eating the same sort of diet and they're finding what's working for them, that is actually more beneficial for someone's health than like switching and changing all the time and trying this diet and that diet and doing high intensity exercise and then trying this thing and that sort of consistency. And, you know, there's probably, a, as you said, there's probably a psychological thing there too in that consistency where you're not like questioning yourself all the time. Am I on the right diet? Am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this exercise? Is this burning enough fat? Like we've just got rid of all those questions. It's just like I just, every night I like to go for a walk or every morning or I really like to eat this way or that way and, and it's just finding what really works for you. And then, as we said earlier, that can change with time, but it's not this sort of second guessing and questioning ourselves based on what we're hearing, you know, and we know in our lifetime, you know, butter was good and then it was bad and then it was good again and eggs were good and then they were bad. And then, <laughs> eggs, you know, peanut butter, you know, all the proteins were bad. Meat was bad and now it's good. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that it's just finding what's working for you. And, and as I said before, like as we age, you know, things will change, you know, like our bodies change so like our body might produce less stomach acid and and we can't tolerate as much meat as we did when we were younger and 
And that's not to say our body's broken or anything or that meat's now not good for you, but it's it, it may not be agreeing with you. And so it's also just acknowledging that and, and feeling into that rather than trying to follow a diet that says, you know, you must eat, you know, right. certain portions of meat or whatever. It's like, actually, maybe I do feel better on eating more plant-based proteins and those sorts of things. It's just, I suppose, it's just listening to your own body rather than trying to follow the rules. Right. Yeah, mm. I applaud her for saying she's like, I'm gonna walk anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's fabulous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets up every morning and walks, and I'm just like, this is awesome. I need to get back on the treadmill myself. But yeah, I just so, applaud her for that. So I'm glad you know that that you mentioned that. I think that's really important. And there's been some like runners. I, I don't know their names personally, but I've seen you know on Instagram, Facebook that you know they're in larger bodies and they they're runners. And like it's not about I'm trying to lose weight. And that's the problem we have from society. Society. if we see like a larger a lady in a larger body that's running it's like oh good on you or mm-hmm. you know keep keep it up you'll lose the weight rather than you know she's just running to stay fit and healthy and it's like the weight is irrelevant you don't need to be losing weight to be fit and healthy mm. exactly and I, mm. I know we kind of touched on this a little earlier but do you believe that the stress of childlessness our self-worth even can tie in with our relationship with food Definitely. I think so. I think in different ways for different people, obviously. I I think the journey itself of trying to have children or going through IVF or, you know, if there's a health issue, there can be a lot of, you know, as I said before, like for myself, it was a lot of controlling and trying to eat a certain way, but then there can be a lot of blame. But then there can also just be, you know, falling into a cycle of stress eating and, you know, looking to food for that comfort as well. I know that was definitely, particularly for my husband, it was, you know, when we were going through our years of trying to adopt, you know, he gained quite a lot of weight, just mindlessly eating chocolate bars and cheese and not even realize what he, you know, what he was doing. And it was just that stress relief every evening. And then I think when we come out the other side, there can be, you know, so many different responses, but there can be a feeling of feeling lost or worthless or, um, you know, I want to take charge of my life and gain a new purpose. And so, you know, we can come out the other side, you know, whether we're trying to take charge or we feel, you know, we can't get ourselves out of the ditch, you know, both can lead to unhealthy behaviors, whether we're pushing ourselves too hard or we've sort of given up, you know, what's what's the point of taking care of my body? It's already broken. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of emotional stuff, you know, around our eating that can come up there as well. Mm. So as I make my way through the book, I went past page 13, but I want to go back just to, and I, I really want everyone that's listening to to get a copy of the book and you can see how to get a copy by going to the to the website but you know i couldn't i couldn't get go past this without saying it on page 13 where it says <laughs> that diets require a calorie deficit you know mm-hmm. we know this and and then you uh, highlighted the section or the last sentence in that section where it says it doesn't matter if you're clinically overweight or have been consuming excessive calories your body responds to the substantial reduction in calories not your body weight. I mean, we mm-hmm. had this all backwards. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm reading this book and I'm like, wow, this, I yeah. it this way. <laughs> yeah. So that chapter, chapter two, I do have that for a free download as well. And that's very much, yeah, the chapter where I really dive into like why, why diets don't work from a physiological point of view and a psychological point of view. 
as well. But yeah, it's almost like we think, okay, I'm I'm overweight, and if I go on a diet, it's almost like my body knows I'm overweight, so I should be losing weight. Whereas our body doesn't know that. Our body's just like you've just given me less calories, and you're starving me, and I need to restore, you know, retain as much energy as possible. I suppose the way we think our body works is not how our body actually works. And even if we're in a larger body that we think, well, it's obvious I need to lose weight, our body doesn't see it like that. Our body just sees you're starving me. I need to retain this weight because I don't know how long you're going to be starving me for. So I think that's it's quite interesting to sort of think of, yeah, how our body's responding and it's not the way we think it would be. Um, chapter two is available as a free download, you said? Yes, it is, yep. Okay, from the website? Yeah, from my website, just at the bottom there's a, oh, actually, if you join my email list, you can get a free download and it's just on the bottom footer as well of the website. Okay, so everyone that's listening, if you go to the website, remember the link is in the show notes and join the mailing list, you can get a um, free copy of chapter two. And I, I have chapter two very much dog-eared, to be honest <laughs> with you. So I think this is wonderful. This is wonderful for anyone that's interested in this subject matter at all to really check out chapter two. Of course, check out the whole book. But yeah, as I look at chapter two in, in my hand, looking at the book, most of the pages are dog-eared, to be honest. Yeah. Because I didn't even, I didn't know that, that you had it as a free download. Okay. Yeah, because chapter two is sort of the aha moment. It's the, you know, it's the why am I going to keep reading this book? It's like, it's like, okay, I've seen the lies I've been told or you, what, I, you know, what I've been led to believe about my body that are, are not true and, okay, what's, what is the alternative to this? So, yeah, I think that chapter, and it, a lot of research and thinking went into that chapter. It's, as you say, there's, there's a lot in there of how, you know, misconceptions we have around our weight and how we can control our weight and what our body does when we go on a diet. Because I think for a lot of people that have been on diets, for much of their life you know they're on again off again and losing weight and gaining weight and that whole idea that you know we end up sort of yo-yoing but our body is trying to gain that weight back that we've lost and I think you know diets it's very much you know starve yourself and, and lose weight as fast as you can and I think you know you mentioned before about you know what if I do need to lose a few pounds and I think that one of the I mentioned timeline being an issue but it's almost like we think, okay, I want to lose a few pounds. And, and yes, maybe I could lose a few pounds in a really short time frame by going on some, you know, crazy diet or, or, you know, fasting or something like that. And yes, you might be able to lose that weight, but your body is wanting to gain that back weight back as fast as it possibly can. And so, you know, when you stop the diet, your body, you're just incredibly hungry. You're finding yourself eating food or obsessing about food. And so, it's sort of once you start to understand that, even if there's a few pounds there, you think, I'm not sure that these, you know, I need to be carrying around these few extra pounds. But it's like, one, maybe they're, they're supposed to be there. But two, you know, would it be, it could be like a year to, to lose that weight or two years or, you know, like it's, it's like not trying to push it and force it within a, a set time frame. I'm looking through here. At the, I'm going to say one more thing about Chapter 2. And then, like I said, now you guys know that you can get Chapter 2 for free. The last thing I'm going to say about it is on page 27, where you say health is not static, it's dynamic. Again, to me, mind-blowing, because I <laughs> never thought about it this way. 
Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's the section on the myth of optimal health. It's on page 27 where that's mentioned, but I'll let, I'll let you all read that for yourselves. I'm moving along because I don't mm-hmm. want to keep pansy all day here, which I could easily. <laughs> this is, this is a great book, but what I also want, and, and we kind of touched on this as well, where we talked about, or you talked about self-care and mm-hmm. how self-care is definitely important. And, you know, I say that many childless, not by choice, people are doing what they can health-wise. We talked about that to have kids. And then, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, coming out the other side of not being able to have the children, do you let go of your health and self-care or do you find a happy medium? And Mm -hmm. we kind of touched on that, but if you wanted to add to that. Yeah, I, I think the first thing is probably what is the priority? And I think, you know, we we have a tendency in society to put health like the number one thing, like the, the most important thing you have is your health. And it and it's true in one respect, I suppose. You know, you, you need to be fit and healthy to sort of move through the world, but it, it's not necessarily the most important thing. You know, maybe rekindling the flame with your partner is the most important thing or maybe finding joy and purpose in your job is the most important thing or finding joy or playfulness. And I think... So obviously health is important, but so are so many other things. And I think when we've been through a journey of trying to have children and and come out the other side without children, it's about finding that balance again and finding ourselves again and, you know, trying to control and contain our eating and our body may not be the best or the the first thing that we need to focus on. So that's probably, I think the first thing is like, like, let's just not put that there as, you know, it's important or let me try to control and contain this thing, but just really what do I need to care for myself? And and as we get those other things into balance, you know, then that can flow on to our health. You know, if we're not doing well at work, it's very hard to then eat healthy. You know, if we've had a, you know, if our relationship's falling apart, we're not coming home wanting to make a gourmet meal together. We're wanting to just ignore each other and you know eat takeaway our mm-hmm. individual takeaway ways at each, at each end of the the table and feeling angry while we're doing it so I, I think for me it's you know the self-care is just I suppose is the number one thing and it doesn't necessarily have to, anything to do with food or our body it's finding what we need for self-care and then from there it's, you know learning to listen and and to be curious about our body rather than seeing it as something controlled and contained because especially if we've been through, you know, loss or trauma and grief and with that feeling that our body's broken, I think it's just learning to trust our bodies again and be curious about them and seeing how they're sort of functioning and responding and, you know, rather than this thing to control and contain, especially if we've been through something like IVF, it's like, you know, your body's a pincushion for so long, it's, it's like reconnecting to it. And, you know, something I talk about in the book is, you know, learning to listen to and trust our body. And in a sense, I think a lot of that is something we need to regain as well. It's not just this object that I'm trying to control and contain so a baby pops out the other end. You know, it's like it's much more sort of complicated than that, but it's also I'm just an observer of this body, you know, like it breathes without me being aware of it. it. It digests food without me being aware of it. It reacts to different foods in different ways without me controlling that. So it's just becoming sort of curious and compassionate towards our body rather than fighting it and controlling it and hating it. Mm. 
And I know mm-hmm. that um, on, on page 70, kind of, you know, in, in context of what we're talking about, you say that accepting what is does not imply that you are giving up and settling for what is, mm-hmm. or that you will take no action to improve your health or life or circumstances. So the section, the heading for that section is accepting what is does not imply inaction. So mm-hmm. I, I found that intriguing and, and highlightable as well. <laughs> yeah. And and that's, you know, that's an important part. So obviously, like relaxation and bringing ourselves into the relaxation response is a big part of what I talk about in the book. And then accepting what is and not long, no longer being in that fighting and resisting mode is really important for that relaxation response. But accepting what is, as you say, it doesn't mean inaction. It just means... You know, as I said before, you know, like I have gained this weight with menopause, for example. It's like I've gained this weight with menopause that this is what is, you know, I'm accepting that and now I'm being curious and as to how my body's responding to different things or why am I doing different things or being curious that I'm coming home and getting that glass of wine on autopilot or a habit that I developed and maybe, you know, like when we've been through stress or, you know, we're going through grief, like when we're moving through grief, you know, maybe the only way we can cope is by going for that extra, you know, block of chocolate or whatever. And that that's okay. Like that's a way for us to process. And, you know, we can spend so much time blaming and shaming ourselves for using food as a way to move through emotions. But maybe at that time it was, the best thing for us to do like we couldn't at that time process our emotions and food was just a way for us to sort of numb out and to forget about them and I suppose accepting what is is helping us to now look at those emotions and explore them and potentially get to a point that we're no longer reaching for food when we're feeling lonely or sad. But, you know, it's just, I suppose it's just not blaming ourselves that we're there. And that, you know, that whole idea of accepting is like, this is just the way it is. I can't change it by fighting it or resisting it. You know, I can't change my body in this moment, but I can accept this is the body I have right now. Now, what do I want to do? What action do I want to take? Learning to observe ourselves, those sorts of things. So as we wind down a little bit here, I want to pivot. Well, as we wind down, I want to pivot a little bit. I'm just jumbling all my words today. But you did write several books. So Mm -hmm. Dreamful Eating is the one we're concentrating on a bit today. But tell us a little bit about the children's books. When I wrote Joyful Eating, I suppose I just discovered that I love writing Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy that as a creative process. And as you know, like I, I work for nutritionists and so I hear people's diet talk all the time and I came up with this idea just how you know we say this macronutrient's better than that one or this food's better than this and so I ended up just coming up with this concept where the foods were fighting each other mm. <laughs> it just came as like a crazy little idea like I, I mean in my lifetime I've had so many you know little fun ideas come into my mind but I this one I took it all the way to writing an actual story and um, submitting that to a publisher. So it is, it ends up, it has ended up being a little bit of a nutrition lesson for children in a really fun way, lots of food puns and, you know, it's quite sort of silly, but the nutrition education comes through and it's very much about helping children to invite foods to their plates and being more curious eaters. But yeah, for me, it was more about the fun of writing. And, you know, once I wrote it and, and found a publisher, you know, lots of other little stories came through in my mind, which fit more with joyful eating of like acceptance and diversity. And 
things like that, but bringing using food as the the characters. So it's just a really fun <laughs> approach to nutrition. Mm. That's on the website as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Information on the book. So mm-hmm. do you feel, uh, and I'm sure this is such a like cliche question, but you know, I'm going to ask, do you feel, or has anybody said anything to you about the fact that you're childless in writing a children's book, even though it's about nutrition, like we can't do those things because we have no children. But <laughs> did, did that ever come up at all? Probably more on my own mind than okay. other people, like especially when you publish it and then you're like, okay, approaching schools and kindergartens and talking to parents. It's like, it's almost like being a parent is this automatic, you're now an expert on feeding children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, obviously a parent is only an expert on feeding their children, not all children. And I think it's, for my, it was probably more for myself to process that of I've studied nutrition, I know about nutrition and I don't need to have children to, to share about nutrition. Right. But also the other thing is in my writing style, I was like, I've been a kid too. You know, I know what it's like to be a kid and what I, I like, what entertains me, what makes me laugh. So I think it was drawing on that a little bit as well. And I think sometimes that's the interesting thing. It's like being a parent is almost like a default. I'm an expert on children. But for myself, it was like, I've been a child. Let me bring that through. And, you know, it doesn't make me an expert on children because no, nobody is unless you, you know, a child psychologist or, you you know, you specialise in some sort of paediatric speciality. You know, no one really is yeah. in a sense, if that makes sense. So of I think it was probably my own self-doubt that came through and I really just had to focus on the joy of writing it and the fact that it makes me laugh and I think it's cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that for my my great nephew and so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know we talked about that pre-interview so yes I'm looking forward to getting that for him and as we wind down the the last question I usually ask a guest I'll ask in a second but I just want to reiterate for the person that's listening who may not be in the same comfort or same space on the journey as Tansy or or myself or you know we're all in different places on this journey so this is not saying that you should be comfortable. If, you, if you're not comfortable around children, if you're not comfortable in your childlessness right now, that's fine. I just want to make sure that everybody understands that it's okay to be where you are. You know, just continue on the journey. The, the key is not to stay where you are, if, especially if you don't feel like you're in a good place or the right place. So I just want to make sure that, you know, the one that's listening who's wondering, well, when am I going to get to feel this way? When can I get to the point of writing a children's book as a childless, not by choice person? If that's what you want to do, you will get there. So yeah. I just want to encourage you, you know, whoever's listening and maybe feeling a little bit discouraged, don't be discouraged because I don't know Tansy that well, but I know that she was at the beginning of the childless, not by choice journey. I was at the beginning of the childless, not by choice journey. All of us that are on this journey were at the very beginning where we felt lost and confused and angry and all of the emotions. Am I right? (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. I think that's a really important point. And I think, you know, as we've spoken before, before the interview is that, you know, it's for me, it's, it's like a 16 year journey. And I think, yeah, you can see where someone is now, Mm -hmm. but you know, we've, 
we've gone through a huge process to get here as as well and things that I wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago that I can do now and feel comfortable with and you know and, and there's still twinges of emotion and you know it's still self-doubt I mean obviously this children's book only came out end of last year and and still there was that thought of like well who am I to write a children's book I don't have children how do I even engage with children you know so those thoughts still arise but I think they're less emotional thoughts than they were before but yeah as you say it's a journey and you know we've come a long a long way along that that journey and to know that it is possible to get to the other side but there is you know to be in the grief and to be in a stage you don't want to be around children you don't want to talk about children or you don't want to work with children but that's okay as well that's part of the process you may never be comfortable to do that again or or you may be able to it really is very individual as well isn't it right it is. Mm. And so if you want to add any more to that, just give us a final word of encouragement as we close out now. Just tell us, you know, in your words, however you want to put it, how, you know, how the journey is. You did touch on that a little bit, but, you know, if any final words that you'd like to give us, I guess what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I think it is just knowing it's a journey and being curious, like not trying to push the process. It's, it's like the weight loss. It's like, we're trying to push and force ourselves to get to a certain destination, whether it's like feeling happy and content with our childlessness or whether it's achieving a new goal or working towards something else. Like we don't want to be pushing ourselves and forcing ourselves and feeling even more guilt and shame. So to me it is very much just being really curious and open and accepting and prioritising sort of joy and what lights you up, you know, what's, you know, what's bringing you joy rather than, you know, what you feel like you should be doing or where you should be or emotionally where you should be. Um, I think, you know, not pushing that as, as well. Mm. And I just did want to mention the novel. I, we didn't actually mention yes, it. I, yes. I mentioned it very briefly, but I've just released the novel last week, The Weight of a Woman, which is like a fictional version of Joyful Eating. So for anyone who's not into self-help books, it's sort of like a really light version that's like light and easy to read and fun but is a woman's journey from that real sort of self-doubt and feeling unworthy primarily because of her body but also because she's single and childless Mm -hmm. and learning to accept herself and that learning to understand that what's really holding her back is what's in her mind and I suppose that fits into what we just said like it's so that's, that's just come out and I have written a sequel which is really delves very deeply into the childlessness and, and I bring a lot of our own story into that. But I hadn't realised how much childlessness was coming through in my writing but I think even for myself I'm still very much processing our journey and I think it's something we'll probably be processing for the rest of our lives. Like it's not, you don't hit the end line and say that's it. You know, I'm no longer hurt by someone's comments or I'm no longer feeling emotional in certain situations. Like we are moving through different phases and having different experiences and making new friends and hitting hitting different, you know, ages, whether it's menopause or the grandparents' age that right. we're all you know, it's like our bodies, it's always changing and, and it's not like grief just disappears or, you know, pain just goes away. It's 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 there and it's it arises at different times, I suppose. 
and it's just knowing that there's not like this end destination that we're that we're heading towards it's it's more um as we grow on the journey or go on the journey and we kind of talked about this too it's about feeling or or finding the acceptance as we make our way on the journey like yeah you, you know just like you said you you you're grieving whether it's the loss of the of the ability to have children or for some it's a miscarriage or miscarriages you know grieving the loss of a parent like me i'm grieving the loss of my mother it's been yeah. th three years but i'm sorry it still feels like yesterday to me and mm -hmm. so not everybody's going to have that experience so somebody grieving the loss of a mother they may grieve in a different way than i'm yeah. grieving it doesn't mean i'm grieving in a bad way or a wrong way because i'm still missing her immensely it just means that I'm grieving the relationship I had with her and somebody else may have had a different relationship with their mother. It doesn't mean that that was a wrong relationship either. No, no. We have to recognize our own backstory for lack of yeah. a better term in our group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it, when I come back to the, the original question you had there at the end is like, what is the priority moving forward? I, I really think it's, it's joy and finding joy. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're moving through grief or stress or that there, there can be moments of joy, but we can sometimes be depriving ourselves of that. And, and obviously that's why I've caught my book joy, joyful eating is like, how much joy do we deprive ourselves? Cause we don't think we're good enough or worthy enough. And the same with grief, like, do I deserve to be laughing in this moment when I'm experiencing a loss and, you know, we can be sitting in a hospital bed beside someone we love that we're losing and make a joke or, you know, someone do something silly or have a dance. And like, I think sometimes we can deprive ourselves of that or not really like hold and catch those moments right. of joy because there's always, you know, there's little glimmers of joy. And I think, you know, for me, it's like, let's hold on to those and find those. And it's almost like little catching little butterflies in a jar and sort of mm. seeing them, but they're there in all sorts of moments <laughs> and right. all sorts of, you know, situations, but sometimes we can deprive ourselves of that until we've achieved a goal or because we shouldn't really be feeling that in this moment, you know, because there is grief, but you know, those moments of joy are really important and what make us human and what, helps us to move forward and to to find our way forward from grief is yeah that's very much <laughs> what I believe you know we're wanting to just feel joyful and alive in life and obviously mm. life is not always joyful but it's holding those moments and you know feeling into them mm. right holding mm -hmm. them embracing the moments embracing the butterflies and <laughs> be deserving of it being deserving of it yeah and i think yeah that, that deserving um in whatever we're going through you know we deserve joy mm -hmm. <laughs> no matter the body we're in or whether it's we feel like it's broken or it shouldn't have done what it's done it's you know we we deserve that and we we need to embrace that i think right. totally agree mm. so joyful eating the weight of a woman the sequel to The Weight of a Woman and uh, the Nutrition for Children book is on the website. And the website is joyfuleatingnutrition.com, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And that's what I have in the show notes, everybody. So joyfuleatingnutrition.com. Our guest today has been Mrs. Tansy Boggan. 
And Tansy, thank you so very much for sharing a little bit of, well, your Monday with us, my Sunday. <laughs> yeah, no worries. It's wonderful to chat. It's really, really fun. I feel like we could chat forever. <laughs> I do too. I feel that way too, but I'm, I'm being cognizant of your time and thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> no worries.